Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Director-editor Madeline Gavin's Beyond Utopia is a suspenseful look at the lengths people will go to to gain freedom. The film embeds itself with a courageous pastor as he works tirelessly to guide various individuals attempting to flee one of the most repressive places on Earth, and that would be North Korea. An amazing film. Um, And on so many different levels, the courage, the tension in this journey that these people embark upon, the, the... there's so much here. Madeline Gavin, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you so much. How did you get to know these people? How did you how did this become the the film we know as Beyond Utopia? Well, really, so much of it is Pastor Kim. When I did initially come on board to make a film around North Korea, I knew that I wanted to do something that was experiential and that really kind of cracked open not only the world of North Korea, but also that brought us close to the people of North Korea, because the reason I wanted to make this film was because when I started doing research and I did many months of research in in, in every venue through the web, through books, through, you know, any video I could find, what was so outrageous to me was the fact that we don't get to hear from the people of North Korea. You know, there's 26 million people inside North Korea. And we basically, the news that we have here in the United States is basically the news that the Kim regime would like us to have, which is we talk about the missiles and we sometimes show images of these elaborate parades. And so I was determined to do something different and to open up the rest of the world to the fact that there are 26 million people living and we've just basically forgotten them. When I met Pastor Kim, it took many months for he and I to get to know each other and for me to gain his trust and both to get to know each other. And at a certain point, several months in, we decided to work together and we had the same goal. He also wanted to do something up close and personal. He had been approached by many other venues and and filmmakers, et cetera, but he had never felt the kind of simpatico that we had in terms of what we wanted to do. But the reason that we were able to do it is Pastor Kim. You know, it was, yes, my determination and Pastor Kim, because without him, we could never have done what we did. You know, shooting on the border of North Korea and China, it's unheard of. There's so many points in the film about halfway into it. You just you can't believe you're watching the the video of this film you're seeing and you can't imagine the danger that everyone in either shooting behind the camera or in front of the camera is experiencing. It's hard to put into words in a conversation just how incredibly dangerous on so many different levels and at so many different times in these people's journey. It is hard to imagine. One of the great things about the film, among many others, is besides getting to know these people, is that uh, you give us a a primer on North Korea. The fact that there have been since 1950-ish three people who have run this country, all part of the same family, all increasingly more vindictive and dictatorial. Do you want to discuss the the ill family or the, is it the young? I'm not sure exactly. Kim, it's the Kim family. Yeah, I mean, it, this was this was something in the making of the film and then in the editing of the film. You know, one thing that I realized is how little we know about North Korea. Again, not just 
what life is really like inside North Korea, which we know nothing about, but also even the history of how North Korea began. And people in the United States call North Korea the, North, the Korean War the Forgotten War, and it is the Forgotten War. I felt like there were certain things that I felt I had to address in the film in order for people to even experience the film and not for not just to be like an anonymous group of people from some unknown country. I, I needed some specificities about what this country was, what makes them want to leave and the whole genesis of the country, because the genesis of the country is directly uh, related to why they want to leave. This country was set up as basically a, a not just a dictatorship, but it's like a deity. You know, I mean, the Kim family, it, they are gods and, and North Korea, and they are the ones that have, that began this mythology and have forced this mythology to permeate every aspect of, of, of life inside North Korea. So throughout the film, I, um, I, I call them interstitials, but I go out to these little kind of details about life inside North Korea. And not only, again, to, to reveal what what life is like and why perhaps people need to and want to leave. But also, you know, because we were following these journeys in real time and we had no idea what was behind the next corner, nor did the family, nor did Soyeon, nor did Pastor Kim, you know, it wasn't like we could stop and, you know, sit down and get to know the family along the way. I mean, you know, a little bit in the safe house in Vietnam and then more so in the safe house in Laos. But even, even then, even though I have just the most amazing footage from both Vietnam and Laos, but Laos was much more in depth. Even though I had this incredible footage that would have contextualized some of the earlier journey, I couldn't use it in the earlier journey in the film because it stepped on the entire nature of the journey, which is that there was no time to sit down and do an interview. There was no place to sit down and do an interview. So I had to find a way for us to get to know the family that didn't step on the truth of this escape or attempted escape. And so I used these interstitials of North Korean life because I felt like if I go out to a, a detail about life in North Korea, like the portraits that everyone has to have in their homes, et cetera, there's so many. If I go out to this little tidbit and explore it, and then when we come back to the family, we know something more about them. We've we've kind of developed them as individuals, as people for us, for the audience, because we now know something about what their life was like and where they came from. And so it was a way to also come to know the family along the way before we got the chance to actually reveal the family in any other way to the audience. Well, and the film has different storylines. You have the pastor, you have the Roe family, you have the, and I, I'm I'm going to butcher her name, so I won't try to say the woman who is essentially hoping that her son. So is young. Going to, yes. Thank you. Is going to survive. And then the person who is, who talks sort of an overview of getting out of North Korea. So there's a lot of, as you said, you, you really weave this very much as a, uh, a tapestry at, at, and, and to one piece, but uh, it's riveting, but horrifying as well is the part about this struggle, this journey. I can't imagine them, how they stayed together, how they managed to not just completely lose their minds over the uh, it's yeah talk about the Roe family because they're yeah. it, it, talk about them as people just it's an amazing story the Roe family are an incredible group of individuals you know as are I mean the people I've met out of North Korea are some of the strongest people I've ever met and I think you know one of the things is in North Korea the word endure is used a lot you know you have to endure you have to endure and 
to a large extent, life inside North Korea is about enduring. I mean, just to get water for your family can take an entire day. You know, you've got to get down to the river. You've got to carry these big, you know, plastic tubs. You got to wheel them up on carts. You got to carry them on your back. Um, and that water may only last for a couple of days and then you're back doing it again. I mean, you're working seven days a week and getting almost no compensation you know, from the government. So life is about endurance. And I think in, in the film, we do see the family go through the most extraordinary psychological, emotional journey, dealing with the levels of fear that they were dealing with, knowing what would happen if they were repatriated, if they were caught in China and repatriated back or caught in Vietnam or Laos. But also the the illegal crossing of the border between Vietnam and Laos, you know, you've got an 80 year old grandma who is doing the unimaginable. You know, I don't I don't know many uh, 80 year old grandmas in the United States who could do that. But, you know, <laughs> I know mine, mine would have just sat down and said enough. But grandma uh, uh, does does it. And, you know, I think part of it is her life has been about endurance. There is no luxury there are there is no idle time in north korea there is no internet the kinds of activities that we engage in that are some let's say semi relaxing there's no such thing in north korea so yeah i mean and and then meeting the family again you know cuz so much about the family but the fact that again grandma has been brought up and for 80 years all of them have but grandma was the most ingrained she lived through the korean war you know, believing that Americans were not only the biggest enemy of North Korea, but that the only reason we exist is to try to destroy North Koreans, that that is our entire purpose in life. Because North Koreans are brought up also feeling that believing or being told that North Korea is the center of the universe, that they are the luckiest people on the planet, that they are the purest people on the planet. And so she was brought up for 80 years believing that Americans only exist to make North Koreans miserable and to destroy them and to kill them. And then she met me. And so just kind of that unraveling of like what she's known to be true in her bones and her blood for 80 years versus what she's experiencing in the present and watching that, the way that she dealt with that. And there's a little of it in the film, but there was yes. so more. There was so oh, there's that. There was one moment when she is... Yeah. I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but it, it, it's it's hard to believe after all she had been through that she would still in some ways believe what she says. Yeah. Just want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Madeline Gavin. She is the director of this incredible documentary film called Beyond Utopia. It is in theaters on November 3rd. Seek it out. It is an extraordinary document. And um, another benefit to this film, watching this film is to see the degree to which a people can be controlled under these incredibly repressive, not only just uh, policies, but a constant indoctrination, a consistent from birth to death, whenever that happens, is, is, is this monolithic sort of culture that is imposed on these people. And there was some hope that when Kim Jong-il came into power, being younger, being exposed to the West, that there might be some opening. And that's sure, as soon as he, I remember the story of him killing, dragging his uncle out of this big party gathering and killing him was the moment when I said, well, that's not going to happen. And that's kind of been borne out, hasn't it? 
Yeah. And and that that's um it's Kim Jong un is the so is I knew the, I was gonna do that. I know sorry. everyone gets it. It's like um Kim Jong il was his father. Yes. Yeah. Very brutal. But when um, I said it, I it went through yeah. my mind that I said that. Right. <laughs> I know because it's so hard. Yeah. But Kim Jong un, yeah, I mean, there was definitely hope. I mean, he had been educated in the West, he was educated in Switzerland. He has thus far, unfortunately, taken an extremely hard line. He is more sort of obsessed with uh, not getting material inside North Korea. In other words, any content that reveals the outside world. That is one of the worst crimes that you can commit inside North Korea is to watch a South Korean or an, an American film or to distribute in any way. I mean, that is, he has executed people, young people very recently for that. He also has put much more security along the border of North Korea and China. He's amped up, you know, CCTV and 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 barbed wire in every which way. And and defections have unfortunately gone down under his reign. So yeah, he's, you know, the way that North Korea keeps people, like you said, in this tethered, this, this, this um cutoff uh existence is by not allowing information to get in. That is the most important thing because, you know, as long as people are told that this they live in the best place on earth, yes, they may they may not be happy, they may not be fed, but they're told that it's even worse out there. So, you know, it's all it's all relative. Um but that mythology will be destroyed if people start to learn about the reality of the outside world. So clamping down on information is huge. And for Kim Kim Jong-un, more than for his father and more than for his grandfather. Words escape me to, to understand how you can treat 26 million people this way. To what end? The country is desperately poor, except for nuclear weapons and apparently at a very robust security system and that is another this window into this repressive regime and in this in this society going into china where china is certainly competing in some ways with north korea in, in that regard of keeping information unavailable to people it, this another again one other part of the film is just to see see this and there are so many other repressive regimes in the world but I, I i doubt that any of them are on the scale that north korea are i don't think yeah. i know of any that no there's no internet inside north korea so that's you know and that is that is extraordinary relative to the rest of the world you because know, obviously if there were internet people would learn about the outside yeah. world and um and hyuncio says in the film and i really it was really important to me to put this in you know, she says that people will often say, well, why don't North Koreans, you know, protest? Why don't they stand up against their government, blah, blah, blah. And she says, you know, if if I believe that if anyone, anyone was brought up the way we were, they would be exactly the same. Because, and she says, yeah. we lived in a virtual prison. We did not know that any life existed other than what we have. And it is because of this really unprecedented ability for them for the north korean regime to keep information away from their people and keep them cut off from the world battle gavin before i let you go you are a director and editor some directors do edit their own work and what went into that decision on your part um well actually when i was initially approached about doing it was going to be a different film about north korea but 
than what I decided, what I wanted to do. But from the beginning, my producers said they wanted me to also edit it. And, you know, so it was, it was a huge challenge. I mean, it was obviously, because I do believe that the relationship between director and editor is such an important and special relationship in film because you can push each other. You know, one person might think the scene is as good as it can be. The other one's like, nah, 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 you know, and then back and forth. And so to kind of wear both of those hats, um, I also was the archival researcher. So like to wear all these hats, it was a little bit of a schizophrenic experience. No, but well, I, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would call it immersive. Would that be a better immersive. way? <laughs> Very immersive. And just trying to make sure that I wasn't, letting myself off the hook too easy. Cause again, like a director can push an editor an editor can push a director, but when you're the same person, I, I wanted to make sure I was still kind of pushing myself. And so it was really challenging. And then of course the language and, and just so many levels, plus the fact that in the end we had such incredible footage and so much footage and just trying to find a structure that could contain the the film. And, and yeah, it was really but it was an honor to also be trusted with these stories and trusted by the family, by Soyan, by Pastor Kim. Huge honor. Well, my congratulations on a magnificent film, magnificent documentary film, and one that I hope I hope it's, you know, it's a Barbie level viewing. <laughs> because I honest in some ways, I know it's a little over the top, but at the same time, I, if we had this kind of a, a in behind the curtain look at North Korea and why American presidents are asked over and over, what's the thing that keeps you up at night? And they say North Korea. We need to know these things. And this is another part of that under, understanding of why we should be concerned. Yeah, I mean, we should be, you know, every country in the world should be talking about the people of North Korea all the time. That's yeah. what I believe. You know, instead of just talking about them, they're not giving up their nukes. We know that. They also know that if they use them, they would be destroyed as a country, obviously. I'm not saying we should never speak about the nukes, but really that's sort of empty air. Like there's yeah. no, you know, we should be talking about the people of North Korea. Because yes. what can we do as citizens about nuclear weapons things right. that we can we can have an impact otherwise? One quick thing. Do you fear in any way for any kind of reprisal from the North Koreans over this? At first, we were obviously nervous. I mean, obviously, we know North Korea knows about this film. They've known about it, you know, since January. They've known Pastor Kim Soyeon, Hyunseo. They've they've known them for decades. But the more that we've learned, um, you know, this film, yes, the Kim regime is the backdrop to this film. Obviously, it's important. And that was important for me to to reveal what the Kim regime is like, because, again, that contextualizes why people are leaving and it gives you knowledge about these people. But the film focuses on the people themselves, not on the regime. The regime is only the backdrop, as is China. I, from everything we've heard from policy experts and NGO and activism world, but all the way up to high levels of government, you know, what we reveal about Kim Jong-un in this film is basically what's told on the news, you know, that he's a brutal dictator and, you know, a strong man. And that doesn't seem to bother him. The one film that was uh, where North Korea did hack was the interview, that film that mocked him. And I did, you know, really ridiculed him in, in, in ways that apparently he could not tolerate by all accounts you know what what we're revealing is nothing nothing new about him about him so yeah i mean of course 
we were, you know, when we were in Laos, we, we saw a North Korean military training the Laotian military right there outside of the van. Oh my God. You know, yeah, it was, there's been some, that's a whole nother, <laughs> there's been some scary. We'll be safe. Ella Gavin, director, editor of this incredible documentary film called Beyond Utopia. Thank you so very much for your time today. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 